Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Chantal, for leading us. Um, it's so good to be together. And uh, I am really looking forward to us gathering again on the 24th. Um, I know that we're meeting a week before that, and uh, that pastoral care day is going to be really a good time for us. Um, I know that the, the pastoral care team have, um, have been meeting and have, um, have been um, planning and organizing, so we're looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, those two weeks, and then from there on, let's just see how it goes. We'll continue to to meet. Um, either we meet in the Belport after after a while, meet in the Belporta school hall, or perhaps we need to put up a tent. But uh, but uh, yeah, so we we're looking forward to to um, the future. And so um, I'm going to be sharing from uh, the book of Exodus again. We're still in that the the series, and uh, this is the third week. Last week we looked at the call on Moses's life, um, and this week we're going to look at Moses um, uh, responding and being obedient to God's call in his life. And there is this this confrontation with Pharaoh, and so we're going to cover chapters seven to eleven. So if you've got your Bible, your device, you've got something that you can follow, um, we're going to be we're going to be looking at at those chapters. And so we pick up the story in Exodus chapter seven. And so um, the first encounter that Moses has with Pharaoh, um, there is this, uh, this uh, what happens is that um, uh, Aaron throws his staff um, on the floor and it turns into a snake. And so um, Pharaoh's uh, magicians and sorcerers, they come out and they throw their, their, their staffs on the floor as well, it turns into, into a snake as well. And then Aaron's snake eats the other snakes. And so if you are exploring the claims of Christ this morning, welcome. Because <laughs> this is, uh, we, we, we're into some uh, interesting um, scripture in the Bible. And the, the great thing about um, preaching through a book of the Bible is that you, you get to scriptures like that, that we can explain them and share them. And so for those that are exploring the claims of Christ, um, uh, I hope by the end of this message, you will have some understanding. Um, in terms of what's happening here, and for those that are Christ followers, for us that that uh, that um, read our Bibles, and for us that uh, that that um, you know commit our lives to Jesus, it's just great to be able to read different parts of the Bible. And uh, and uh, I'm hoping that God would speak to you this morning as He has spoken to me in preparing this message. So it's with so it's with Aaron's staff that becomes a snake that eats all the other snakes. Uh, that's just the start of things to come this morning. And so um, it's going to be a, a, an interesting time together. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. And, um, and this is the encounter of the first plague uh, that happens um, uh, in Egypt. And so over the next uh, five chapters, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the nine plagues. There are ten plagues. Um, but we're going to look at the, the nine plagues. I'm not going to go through every plague, but start with the first one and then, um, you know, uh, spend our time together looking at, at, at the plagues. Um, and then um, next week, we're going to be looking at the, the 10th plague. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're going to go this morning. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unhealing. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. As he goes out to the river, confront him. That's an interesting thing. God doesn't say go to him or God doesn't say have a meeting with him. Um, sort of the language is, is, is very um, confrontational. 
And God says, confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. And this is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. And with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. And the fish of the Nile will die and the rivers will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Wow. So far, we're going to carry on a little bit later. And so what we find here is um, this first plague. And what we find is that in, in the the five chapters of all 10 plagues, there seems to be this, this pattern that comes up uh, that, we, that we experience. And so we have Moses and Aaron confronting uh, Pharaoh and his magicians and uh, his sorcerers. And, um, and so there is the ask from Moses to let, let God's people go. Then Pharaoh says no. And then there is a plague. And uh, after the plague, there is a plea from Pharaoh. To say, please stop this, and uh, I, I will let the, I will let the Egyptians, uh, I will let the Israelites go. Please, no more of this. And then Moses stops the plague, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. And what you find is, it will say that Pharaoh has hardened his heart. It will say that uh, that Pharaoh's heart is is um, unyielding. And so we find this in all of the ten, or certainly all of the nine plagues. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna follow him through. But before we get into the plagues. Before we get into the confrontation of, of Moses and Pharaoh, there's just two things that I just want to highlight by way of introduction this morning. And the first thing is that um, God wants to make himself known. And so it's through these plagues that God wants to make himself known. It's so important for you to get this sort of um, a frame of reference as we go into the plagues is God wants to make himself known. And um, and last week we heard how God made himself known to Moses and uh, we reflected back on how God made himself known to you and I. Um, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. In effect, he also says, I, I was who I was and I will be who I will be. That's what God is saying. He's saying, I am the same God yesterday, today and forever. The way, I, uh, the way Moses experienced God and um, the way... Uh, all the Bible characters have experienced God, even today, the way we experience God, we experience God as him saying, I am who I am. I was who I was, and I will be who I will be. And that word be is, is understood as arrives or shows up, um, you know, and, and so that last one, I will be who I will be. But we can also um, uh, understand it as God saying, I have arrived. I am showing up. Um, and, uh, and as God uh, did this with Moses, he wants to do it with the Egyptians and he's doing it with the Israelites. He is saying, I am who I am. I am God breaking into history. I am God breaking into lives. And as he, as he has done that for, for Moses, for the Israelites, for the Egyptians, he does it for us. And so it's so important to sort of build that bridge between Exodus, it was written such a long time ago that uh, as such an interesting context um, to bridge it to our time today. And so God is presencing himself among the people, not just the Israelites, 
that he has a covenant with, that he made with Abraham, but he's presencing himself with the Israelites, with Egyptians. And as God uh, uh, present, uh, uh, presents himself with the people, he also shares his name. And so I am who I am uh, is understood to be uh, saying, God, well, God is saying, uh, this is who I am. And this is my name. My name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. So not only do we have God wanting to uh, um, make himself known, he's wanting, to, he's wanting to be known in a personal way. And that's so important for us is that God is wanting to be known in a personal way. God is wanting to build relationship. Um, he's wanting to have a relationship with you and I. And that's so obvious, isn't it? But it's so important for us to understand so important that God wants this relationship with us. And in our prayer meeting this morning, Louette was just sharing about, um, you know, the danger of, of, of um, you know, uh, distancing ourselves from God, the, the danger of, um, you know, becoming numb because of, uh, you know, COVID and the restrictions and everything like that. There is a sense of becoming familiar with God. Um, you know, there's, there's no uh, desire for the sacred anymore. It's just like one day into the next. And uh, it's just as we go into this, this, this message this morning, it's a reminder for us is that God is, presence, is presencing himself among us. His desire is to presence himself among us and to have relationship with us. Psalm 139 verse 7. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn, uh, and settle on the other side of the sea. There you are. Your right hand will guide me. So it's not only saying God's presence, but it's saying in God's presence, he will guide me. And so this morning, I want to ask, as God presents himself with you this morning, that in itself is enough. But God in his, in his, in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, wants to give you more than just his presence. Or rather, should we say that when we experience the presence of God in our lives, it's not for us alone. It's not that it will make us feel good. It's not that it makes us become better people. What is God's presence? Um, you know, what is it uh, evoking in you this morning as a Christ follower? And so going back to the story of, of Moses. So God wants to make himself known. We also see in Exodus 7 verse 5. Um, God says the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So God wants to reveal himself not only to the Israelites again, but also to the Egyptians. Exodus 7 verse 17. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. And then in Exodus 9 14. Um, this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, your officials and your people. This is God talking to Pharaoh, probably through Moses. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. There is no one like me in all the earth. So what I find interesting about Exodus 9, 14, um, the first thing is that um, God says, this time I will send the full force of my plagues. So these are God's plagues. You know, I, like, I can't get this picture out of my head. So like, please forgive me. I don't want to be, you know, like I, I don't want to offend anyone. But it just reminds me of, of Tarzan. I don't know. Okay, just bear with me. Of Tarzan, remember, like, so Tarzan gets the, like, you know, um, the poachers come in and the armies come in, and then Moses gets up, um, uh, then Tarzan gets up and he makes his shouts, and the animals come, and everybody, and like the whole of, of the forest come, and they just like 
like attack sort of the uh, uh, the poachers and all of that. It, like this, this is what I think God is saying. It's like I'm going to bring the full force of all of what I have. All of my creation is going to come. Is going to come, and 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 you're going to be confronted by my full power. And and the reason why God is going to do that is that. Uh, God wants not only to be known, not only wants to be present. He wants everybody to know that there is no other God above him on earth. There is no other God above him. And so it's so important to understand that. Um, Not only does God make himself known, he reveals his intention to Moses by revealing his name. So as much as God reveals his name for relationship, I believe God reveals his name so that he is able to communicate his intentions. And what is God's intentions is to liberate the people of Israel um, from the from the slavery of the Egyptians. Not only to do that, but also to destroy the whole Egyptian uh, uh, supernatural force, to destroy all the Egyptian gods. So not only does does God want to come and liberate the people, I I, I suspect the way He's got to do that. Well, I know I don't suspect. I know the way that He's got to do it is. Uh, by destroying um, the, the the spiritual forces, uh, the spiritual gods of the Egyptian people. And so it's with that, this confrontation, um, God says to Moses, go to the banks of the Nile and confront Pharaoh. This confrontation, co- confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh is a picture of what is happening behind the scenes. Not only is there this, this constant uh, battle and struggle between these two men, there is also this cosmic spiritual battle that is going on in the heavenly realms between God and the devil. And so this is so important. And uh, as, we, as we see this, 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 this book at the beginning of the Bible, it, it, sort, of, it, it sort of gives that, it gives that picture of, of, of what it is to be a Christ follower. It's not to become a good person. It's not so that you know, God can meet all your needs. No, it's it, it sort of when, 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 when we read Exodus, it reminds us that there is this cosmic battle between God um, and the kingdom of God between, uh, and the devil or Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And terminology like that, we don't like, but it's a reality. And so it's not that when you become a Christ follower, you become a better person, you become a good person. No, when you become a Christ follower, you are a forgiven person, you are saved. Not only are you are saved, you are liberated from slavery, the, from the, the, the kingdom of darkness, that God has defeated Satan and his kingdom, and he has, he has saved you, and, and we are his people. And so as we see this, this, this confrontation between Moses and Aaron, we, we understand of this sort of this cosmic battle that is happening in the heavenly realms. See, the people of Israel were in bondage. They were enslaved. Um, not only were they enslaved by Pharaoh, but they were also enslaved by the Egyptian ideologies and the idols that were put before him. And so what God is doing is wanting to, he's wanting to raise those ideologies. He's wanting, to, he's wanting to smash those idols. And he wants to take, um, take his rightful place within the people of Israel. And as he does with the people of Israel, he does with you and I today. So in this confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh, there's this colossal battle between Yahweh and the Egyptian gods, between Yahweh and the Egyptian gods. We read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, God says, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And so it's, 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 it's with this that we, 
that we get into this battle, this, this cosmic battle that's happening in the heavenly realms and that sort of manifest physically between Moses and Aaron. And, and, and secondly, we see it manifest between God through the plagues um, and uh, the Egyptian gods and, and how God counters them. You see, the plagues are, are not only there to soften Pharaoh's heart and to get him to change his mind. It's it, like when we start thinking like this, the story becomes so layered. The story becomes so important, so powerful for us as Christ followers. The plagues weren't only there to, to soften Pharaoh's heart and to get him to change his mind. The plagues themselves fall on all the areas of life that were supported and protected by the Egyptian gods. So all these plagues, every single plague confronts an ideology or it, it, it confronts um, the Egyptian gods and the idols that they have put in place. And so that's so important for us. So let's get into it. Um, so as we look at these, these 10 plagues, we're doing nine this morning and one next week. And so of, of the Egyptian gods, there were sort of 80 deities um, that, that one could experience with within the Egyptian gods. We're getting a little bit technical here, but, but it's so important for you to understand that. And so God comes and, uh, and he wants to, he wants to um, confront and, 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 and do battle with these deities. And when you look at the 10 plagues, interestingly enough, it's divided into three clusters. Now, this is what I found fascinating, because I just thought the plagues were the plagues. You know, so there were there were ten natural disasters, or there were ten things that God did to to convince Pharaoh and to change his mind. But as I said, we've got to look at at the bigger picture here. We've got to look at 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 um, what God is actually doing here. He's he's going to war against the kingdom of darkness. He's he's setting up his kingdom, and in actual fact, it's it's when the people are liberated from. Egypt and they're going to the wilderness there is that song and it's in that song that we that we discover the kingdom mentioned for the first time the kingdom of God mentioned for the first time and so let's look at these nine plagues and so what's interesting is they're divided into three sections and um and uh the the the, the three sections uh, God confronts certain deities of the Egyptian of the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian people. Um, the first cluster is um, God confronts the Nile. The second cluster, God confronts the land. And the third cluster, God confronts the sky. And in all three of those, there are deities that uh, are, are, are represented. There, there are deities that are connected to those three categories, the Nile, the land, and the Sky. So interestingly enough, is when you look at the, the first cluster of the Nile, there, there are two plagues that we discover there. The first is um, the, um, the Nile is turned into blood. And, uh, and uh, the, uh, the god that is confronted there is the god of Hapi. And, um, and, and the god of Hapi was the god of prosperity. So the, the Nile River, it, it fertilized, it watered the, um, it watered the crops ships we, or boats were used on there for commercial reasons. And so God destroys that, that God, that Egyptian God, by turning the, the, the Nile River into blood. Um, uh, very fascinating. And so uh, that God is, is, is defeated because um, uh, God himself comes and, and turns that that, uh, that the Nile into blood. But here's an interesting thing, is that Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers were able to turn, were also able to turn water into, 
uh, turn uh, blood, uh, turn water into blood. And what's quite interesting is that it was when Pharaoh's magicians turned water into blood, his heart hardened, and uh, he sent he sent uh, Moses away. Then it gets to the second plague, and that's of frogs, and uh, it represents the gods of f- fertility, and um, and so um, you know. Fertility gods should have controlled all these frogs, and and they didn't. And so their god is able to defeat them. But uh, Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers were able to to also do the same thing uh, through magic in terms of producing a, a, a lot of frogs. And so Pharaoh hard, hardens his heart there. And so we move from from God attacking sort of sort of the Nile gods to the land gods, and we see the next four. Um, the next four plagues is that of gnats, of flies, of cattle, and of oils, and uh, and these all represent uh, the land gods. Um, the gnats talks about the earth god. Uh, the flies talks about uh, the earth god, and uh, and with all the flies happening, uh, what God has done is He's reversed the order where God is uh, there. There is um, there is order that has come out of chaos, um, but what's happening now is uh, you know God is plague of flies there is there is in all this order there is chaos that is created by these flies and so um that god is discredited cattle it was the god of love and sex um and and they and they died boils um comes across uh, it speaks into the egyptian god of healing and uh, he has lost his power because there are so many boils but then uh, god sort of heals people by Pharaoh and him uh, softening his heart and then hardening his heart again. And so there's the Nile God, there's the land God, the sky God. Um, there is hail, there is, there is locust, um, there is darkness, and there is the death of the firstborn. And what's quite interesting when you look at um, the hail and the locust, that's obviously, uh, you know, the hail is, is from, from the heavens, the locusts eat the land. And so um, uh, there's the, sort of the devastation um, of, of, um, of provision. And then darkness and the death of the firstborn are very interesting because darkness, um, it goes against the Ra God, the sun God. And that was the most powerful God in the Egyptian uh, uh, religion. And uh, God sort of um, uh, brought darkness to the land. And, uh, and in that, it was a display of God's power over, over Ra. And uh, so it's, you see that these, these uh, plagues become uh, more powerful as it comes to an end. And then it comes to the last plague, the death of the firstborn. And what's quite interesting about this, we're going to be picking up this next week. We're going to spend the whole week looking at, at this last plague. Um, but what's interesting about how God defeats this, um, uh, uh, you know, this God in the culture of Egypt is this, is that so Pharaoh was considered to be conceived by the Ra God, by the sun God. And uh, with Pharaoh being conceived by the, by the sun God, he, he is supposed to be eternal. Um, but, uh, but what happens is that his firstborn dies. And so that makes, God, that makes Pharaoh not eternal. That makes him human. And, uh, and it's in that that God is able to even defeat Pharaoh, uh, who's, who is uh, supposed to be divine. So, I mean, in all these encounters, there is a real spiritual battle that is happening behind the scenes, not only uh, between uh, Moses and Pharaoh, but God defeating the Egyptian gods. Um, and so the spiritual war is happening in the, in the spiritual realm. Um, we were encouraged by, by Paul in Ephesians. But sometimes it's, we, when we think about this, the spiritual battle that is happening in the, in, in, in the spiritual realm, it's difficult for us to understand. And sometimes 
we, we sort of put it back burner of our minds and we get on with life, uh, uh, living our lives for, for Jesus to the best of our ability. But it's so important to understand it's a spiritual thing that is, that is happening. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. And so as we read this encounter of the plagues, we, we, we become aware of, of the spiritual battle that is happening. And uh, as God um, pres- presents himself, makes himself known, um, he comes and he says, that I've defeated all these other gods. Um, I've defeated all these other gods. You see, these, these spiritual battles, these things that happen in the spiritual realm of very real realities, and they play out in our lives in different ways. They can play it out in two ways. They can play it out in the ideologies that we believe of our culture and of the world, um, and that's sort of belief systems. But then we can also... Um, we can also um, uh, it plays out in the idols that we have in our own lives and uh, at these ideologies that would lead to us developing an idol. So uh, the, um, the Nile God, you know, um, you know, the, the, there is this thing of, 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 of worshipping the Nile as, as a God that brings prosperity, that brings economic relief, that brings uh, a, a better way of life, and so and so the ideology of saying that the Nile uh, is is representative of the god of prosperity. The Nile then becomes that idol, and it's so important because God does speak about idols um, in this in this portion of scripture. Because what's quite interesting is that if you look in in um, Exodus chapter seven, um, the the scripture that I read in verse nineteen, it carries on, and the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron." Take your staff and stretch it out and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, um, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels um, of wood and stone. And the understanding or the, the commentary of, of that uh, vessels of wood and stone are idols. Um, and it's even in the idols that there is blood that is found. And so God is wanting to not only um, uh, destroy ideologies, but he's wanting to remove idols from, from uh, people's lives. And I, I suspect when you think of the, the, the Israelites that are, that are enslaved, I, I wonder how many of the, the Israelites um, uh, followed these ideologies. I wonder how many of the Israelites had these idols for themselves as well. Um, I think there's a, a clear indication that when the people, the, the people of Israel left Egypt and they were, they were in the wilderness and Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what do the Israelites do? They build an idol. And so it's, it's quite interesting how, um, how perhaps it's ingrained in them. And so what I want to do in the, in the last part of our time together is I want to look at this, this concept of idols and idolatry and, what, um, and, and, and uh, how it affects us as people because we see how it affected the Israelites and, and certainly how God came against um, idolatries and how he, he, um, ideology, sorry, and how he came against idols. And it's so important for us as we transition out of the story of Moses into um, everyday life today, how we are able to bring application to this experience and to the reading of the scripture 
in our own lives. And so this last part is, 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 is that application. And after that, we're going to be break, we're going to go into different groups and there's going to be an opportunity for us to share around um, sort of uh, what are those idols in our lives. No one to go off the screen now. I'm watching all of you. Okay, no one's left. That's cool. All right. Okay, you still with me? Yeah? Okay. So let's, let's look at this a little bit, a little bit in, in more detail when it comes to these idols that, 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 uh, that, we, that we pick up here in the scripture. Um, when it comes to idols, we need to look at this idea of sort of idolatry and what is idolatry? Um, uh, idolatry is the worship of something other than God. Idolatry is the worship of something other than God. And, uh, and when we worship something other than God, it becomes the root of all our sin. You know, um, it's stealing glory from God. And so it's so important for us to understand what the idols are in our own lives. Um, it's by no coincidence that the, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, what God has done, um, he, he has created humans with this built-in worship center. We all have this built-in worship center. Another way of looking at it is that all humans have this, this God-shaped vacuum in our lives, that we all uh, we, we have this, this, this space in our lives. We created in a way to have God at the center of our lives. Um, see, when we worship the right thing, our hearts and our lives come alive. It's an interesting thing. It's like the connection. So when we connect with God, who we are, um, we get to understand our identity. When we connect with God, with that 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 uh, uh, that you know that human like ability within us to worship, to have a, a worship center, when God fills that, um, not only can we become the people that God, that God wanted us to be, we have a sense of identity. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of direction. And so, you know, when we think about like this sort of built-in worship center, it's not like, like, you know, it's not just the negative. Like, it's not just like, hey, you can have nothing in there but God. We need to look at the positive and say, well, wow, we were created like that. Was I created like that? Was I, was I created with the capacity to have a worship center? We, we all were. And when we, when we fill that with God, um, you know, we come alive. But when we, when we fill it with something that is not of God, when our center becomes filled with things that are not of God, that is idolatry. When, when it is filtered, when it's, when it's filled with things that are not of God, then we don't come alive. We don't come alive. You see, because at the center of who we are, when that is filled, it gives us meaning. As I said, it gives us, gives us this, this way of life. Um, so, so as we look at sort of idolatry and uh, the importance of not having idols in our lives, but to have God at the center of our lives. And so I don't want this to become a heavy on us. Maybe the encouragement and the flip side in terms of the positive is that, um, that we created to be in relationship with God. We created to have God at the center of our lives. And so that's the, the spin-off that we can have in terms of going sort of deeper and deeper and heavier and heavier. We created to be create we, we are created to be in relationship with god um not only that um there is this order 
that we have as Christ followers, as we have God at number one in our lives, then everything naturally flows from that. But if we don't have God at number one in our lives, there's going to be dysfunction, there's going to be brokenness, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be pain. And so that's the second thing that we can get out of this on a positive sense is that when we have God at the center, everything else flows. Um, and perhaps the, the, the tester for us is that when we are struggling and things aren't going that well, the question we need to ask ourselves, well, is God at the center of my life? Is God number one in my life? And so those are the positives that we can get off this in terms of, um, you know, what is at the center of our lives. And, um, and uh, the, the example that we get from, from Exodus here is that with God defeating the Egyptian gods, with God defeating the Egyptian gods, he is saying that I am all powerful. I am all powerful. And I want to be number one in your life. So as God presents himself in, as God presents himself with you, as I am who I am, as Yahweh, um, he's saying, not only do I want to present myself with you, I want to be your priority. I want to be your number one. I, I, I want you to live for me. And so as we, as we look at that, when it comes to idols in our lives, well, what is that? What, 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 is, what do I mean with idols? You know, what are the idols in our lives? Like, are they little statues? Like, I, sus I suspect along the Nile River, there were these statues to the God that represented the river, as perhaps all the other uh, plagues that, that, uh, that, we, that we read about. Um, it, see, idol isn't a little statue. It, it might represent something, but an idol is far more than that. An idol is far more than that. You see, idols... Idols in our lives can be bad things, but, but what's quite interesting is more often than not, idols start, start off as good things, the idols in our lives. And so when I mention an idol, it's a thing that's replaced God in your life. When I, when I talk about an idol, it's something that, that has sort of dethroned God in your life. It's dethroned, it's taken God off the center of your life. That's what an idol is. And uh, interesting, there are some bad, there are some bad idols, um, uh, um, perhaps, you know, sexual immorality or, you know, you know, the, those the things that are, that are, that are bad, but more often than not, an idol starts off as a good thing. But what I mean by that, well, so um, loving your family is a good thing. Um, working hard is a good thing. Um, you know, achieving in life is a good thing. Um, ministry is a good thing. Uh, Christianity, religion <laughs> is a good thing. Um, uh, uh, but a good thing can turn into an ultimate thing. And when a good thing turns into an ultimate thing, it takes the place of God in your life. So what I mean by that? So um, to be a little bit vulnerable, um, I know that uh, I've had to work through an idol in my life and my idol has been my family and more, uh, more particularly my children. And so, you know, my, my desire to, to give them a good education, my desire to help them, uh, you know, with their, with their school and with their sport, my desire to provide a, a safe home for them, um, my desire to, to be a loving, present father to them. That's all good. But, when my, but, but what I discovered is that my kids started becoming the ultimate thing in my life in the sense that, you know, if they didn't succeed at school or they failed on the sports field, it affected me. I know that, uh, I hope I'm not sounding strange, but that, that, does it make sense? Does it, is it, is it, does it sound right? And so, it's, and so the, the, the thing about my kids becoming the ultimate thing is that they were giving me a sense of identity. They were giving me a sense of, 
of work. Um, and uh, and Candice and I, we, we chatted about that and I've prayed through that. But now I've probably gone to the extreme. I don't even know what they get for their results. I don't know when they're playing their sport. And so I've got to, I've got to find that balance because I, I still want to be a present dad. But, but, it, but it, it, it's, it's that, that, that good thing becoming an ultimate thing. What's it for you? What's it for you? What, what's it in your life that, 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 that's been such a good thing, but, but you, you've taken that thing and you've replaced it with God in your life, and it's become the ultimate thing? See, an idol is anything that captures your heart more than what God does. An idol is something more that captures your heart more than a, what God does. And, and an idol is something that, that, that asks you for something that only God can ask you for. And what is the thing that, that God can ask you for? Your life, your worship, your surrender. But when things in your life are asking you the things that only God can ask you, um, that is warning signs. That is a sense of, of something becoming an idol in your life. Here's a good test in terms of idols that we, that we can, that, you know, if you had to say, well, how do I know that this one thing is an idol? Here's two points that you can that you can explore. The first is, um, if you lose this thing, will you feel worthless? Does it make you feel worthless? If you lose this thing, does it make you feel worthless? And secondly, um, if you gain this thing in greater and greater des- de- degrees, will it make you feel complete? Will it make you feel complete? So if you lose it, will you feel like worthless? If you gain more of it, Will it make you feel complete? Because that's God's role in your life. That's what God wants to do for you and in you. Um, and so we need to look at that and we need to say to ourselves, well, you know, um, this, in, in those questions, if the box is ticked, yes, then you need to, you know, you've got to process it. You've got to pray through it. You've got to seek God. You've got to draw alongside people and you've got to smash that idol in your life. Um, and allow God to be at the center of your life. So here's the thing, though, and I'm going to close with this. So um, it all makes sense on the surface. Um, and, and so what we need to do is not only does an idol represent something, but as I shared with you, that idol, there is a deeper spiritual reality behind that idol. And, um, and, and so you become what you worship. So... Um, what you worship becomes your identity. What you worship becomes your identity. And so if you have an idol of sort of pride, you'll become a very proudful person uh, to the extreme. If your idol is work, you will lose yourself in your work. And the thing about what the spiritual reality does is that the thing that desires you, that idol that desires your allegiance, the moment you give your allegiance to that idol is the moment that that idol will destroy your life. So if you have an idol of work and you give yourself to work, um, your work will destroy you. And, and that's the spiritual reality behind it. Now, I don't want to get all deeply spiritual, but what do we know about Satan? He's a roaring lion waiting to devour us. He's wanting to destroy our lives. He's wanting to, Satan doesn't want us to become bad people and becoming Christian doesn't, it's not about becoming a good person. I mean, there's the spiritual reality behind the scenes here, and there's a lot at stake. And so that idol that we have is not like, oh, I better destroy this idol. The, the idol that we have, once your allegiance, and once it gets your allegiance, 
there's going to be uh, the, the the effects of that. It, it it's it's wanting to destroy your life. It's wanting to, to not give you life. It's wanting to not make you come alive. It's it's something that that's so powerful, um, and it's something that we need to break um, uh, as Christ followers. And uh, I'm going to close with this. Um, I'm going to close with this scripture. And it's in 1 John, 1 John 5, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And so the, the, the thing is, is, when we become a Christ follower, the desire is not to sin. Okay? So let me read again. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the devil... Um, and the devil, sorry, let me just, uh, uh, does, uh, sorry. And the one who is born of God keeps us safe. And the, de- and the devil, no one, uh, and the devil cannot harm anyone. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself free from idols. Keep yourself free from idols. Um, uh, sort of this, keep yourself free from idols is, is this encouragement to, to guard yourself against idols to guard yourself against idols. Um, Let us pray. Father, we want to come before you in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this time. We thank you that as we read the encounter of the plagues and the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh, we know that is a far greater reality that is at play. And Lord, we know that it is manifest through uh, belief systems and ideologies and the idols that we worship. And I just pray this morning that as we, as we examine our own lives, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be at the center of our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be able to say we have no other gods but you, that you are number one in our lives. And I pray that, that this morning that, uh, that you would examine our hearts. That Lord, know if there's, if there's anything that is not of you. Lord, we want to come before you this morning and we want to say that we've taken our eyes off you. We've, taken, we've dethroned you in our lives and uh, we've placed other things above you. Won't you forgive us? We want to place you at the center of our lives again. Won't you be number one in our lives? Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit and minister to us this morning. Some of those idols are deeply entrenched. Some of us hold tightly to our idols. But God is wanting to liberate you from that this morning. He's wanting to set you free. He's wanting to redeem you.
as he liberated the Israel nation. His plan is still the same today, to liberate you and I. Lord, thank you that you are the one that brings liberation and freedom. And this morning we place you back at the center of our lives. Come Holy Spirit and continue work with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.